Good morning. If you will take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans 15, that's where we'll be at today. How many of you believe that God is faithful? It's pretty weak. So let's say that again. Let me ask that question again because you must have been tuned into something else. How many of you believe that God is faithful? That's a little bit better. How many of you have experienced the faithfulness of God? May the stories be told. We talk about heritage of faith. One of, one of those parts of heritage is not holding on to the stories of God's faithfulness, but be willing to share those stories with people over and over, especially our children. You know, it's easy to forget, isn't it? Woe is me. It's easy to forget. God is faithful. And then we, a couple of months down the line, we're asking, God, where are you in the middle of all this? We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. I had a blessing of God's faithfulness about 25 minutes ago when I looked over and I saw Carl Stairs standing there. And I kept looking for Helen because she's the better half. And uh, gosh, it's been... Five years since we've seen each other? Faithfulness. And uh, when we were in Sanford in ministry, Carl and Helen were very faithful. And uh, I believe you guys are getting ready to celebrate like a 69th wedding anniversary coming up tomorrow, maybe. And so, uh, yeah. <laughs> Helen and Carl, it's good to have you guys. Your faithfulness over the years will send reverberations into the days ahead as we talk about Jesus and his faithfulness. Um, we're going to be in chapter 15 today in Romans, continuing on where we left off. But this issue of weak and strong, the subject of weak and strong, is something that was very important to Paul so much that he just didn't leave it in 14. He carries it on into 15. And it wasn't just important to the people that Paul was writing to at that point in time when he was writing to the church at Rome. But what Paul had to say in reference to weak and strong is very applicable for us today. And so as I read those first couple of verses today, I just I want us to be reminded of what Paul had to say because uh, we've already seen this before and we're going to see it again. But this is what Paul writes there in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, when he said, We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. He's talking about the things that he had been writing about. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others to do what is right and to build them up in the Lord. To begin with, I, I want to say this, that the obligation, that the strong have an obligation to the weak. When we talk about weak and strong, basically there's two groups that Paul is referencing there in the church. These are not, one is believer, one is non-believer. Paul's talking about believers. Groups of people that have received Jesus as, as Lord by faith. These are those that had believed on the norms, the moral norms, as it, as it went to sin, murder, adultery, uh, honor your father and mother. By the way, that's really, that's, that's, that's a very, very important commandment, isn't it, parents? Honor your father, father and mother. You know, it's very interesting at the, at the front of those commands that deal with our relationship with God, do not worship any other gods. At the forefront of the commands that 
that deal with our relationship with one another. Honor your father and mother. Very interesting. I wonder why that is. Do you understand, do we understand that our, our understanding and placing ourselves underneath authority is really important for life in general? If we can't, listen children, teenagers, if you can't obey your parents and the Lord that God has placed in your life that you can see, how can you obey the Lord whom you cannot see? Y'all are looking at me like... Very important part of life, learning to honor your mom and dad early on. It's very important. Very important. But here, here Paul is addressing the weak and the strong, and he's not talking about saved and unsaved, but he's talking about two different groups of people. I mean, at first glance, you think that, the, well, who is the weaker? We might think is unsaved, but no, it's not unsaved. I think that what Paul is referring to are the Jews that were not only believing in Christ by faith, but they were also holding on to social, social norms, the things of, of their Jewish roots that would have caused them an awful lot of stress. Even though they weren't essential, they thought that they were essential. And here they were, they were turning to Christ, but they were bringing with them everything that they had, they had learned from their, from their Jewish roots. I mean, the sacrifices and the feast and what to eat, what not to eat, all these different things. And the Gentiles are looking at them thinking, what in the world are you guys doing? That We have no clue. We have no understanding of all that stuff that you're talking about. We came to Christ by faith. And yet the Jews were holding on wasn't limited to that group of people by any means, but the stronger were those who celebrated the greater freedoms, those that wouldn't have used those freedoms to indulge their themselves, but they would have used those freedoms out of life and love and an effort to maintain unity inside the body of Christ. And so we see an obligation to begin with, with the strong concerning the weak. Number one is to be considerate, to use grace, to be patient. How many patient people do we have? Maybe that's not a good question. How many unpatient people do we have? Paul is saying, look, you need to be considerate. You need to be patient. You need to give grace to realize that it's not about what I get. It's not about what I want. It's not about pleasing myself. It's not about proving that I'm right. But I picture two strong hands holding a small child with great care of recognizing that which is weaker and desiring to nurture and walk alongside. But not just the the obligation to be considerate, but also to be an example. The strong have a res responsibility to model maturity and what maturity looks like to those so that those who are weaker might be able to follow. How many of us want our children to remain as babies? That's a bad question too, isn't it? <laughs> you know, for a season, changing dirty diapers isn't bad, Right? But if you're like me, baby, we got to get them out of here. We got to get y'all up. We got to get y'all up. We got to get you out. And here it is. We've got this example. Paul says, listen, you need to be an example. We want you to mature. We want you to grow up. The strong aren't to ignore or condemn or separate from those who are weaker. But we're to come alongside. We're to come alongside in love for, for the sake of unity and maturity in the body of Christ because there's something bigger at stake. And we recognize that. It's not about being right because you can be right and you can be wrong. I love what Paul said. He said, we must not just please, might live to please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in 
the Lord. It's a big big deal for for Paul as he's writing to the church and the words that he wrote to the church are still then are still applicable for us today. But I want to take these next five verses that we're going to look at and I want us to maybe take a look at five qualities that the church should be known for instead of just agreement over those things which are non-essential. Five things that we find in these next five passages of Scripture. So if you would allow me the opportunity, let's, let's start off there in verse 3. And you can write down, the church should be known for Jesus. Amen? Jesus should be the center of everything that we do. I think there's, that's maybe one of the reasons that I've always struggled with this issue of church membership. Because I think we hear the word church membership and we start thinking about all the things, the benefits that I should receive. Listen, church membership should not be at the center of what we're thinking about. What we should be at the center of everything that we think about is how do I become more like Jesus? Jesus should be the center of everything that we discuss. And this is what Paul went on to write there in verse 3, for even Christ didn't live to please himself as the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. And so why are the strong to bear with the weak? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. In that second half of that passage, he goes back to the Old Testament to look at, to, to pull out out of Psalm 69, 9, where he said, And the insults of those who insult you fall on me. In other words, in our disobedience, in our sin, it all fell on Jesus. And yet Jesus still went the distance and he saves us. As Jesus followers, we must be so thankful for everything that Christ has done. We must be thankful for our salvation. We must be thankful for the price that Christ paid. Understanding and understanding what Jesus did for us should prompt us to want to tell others about what Christ has done. Jesus didn't live to please himself, but he lived with us in mind. It reminds me of the old gospel song, when he was on the cross, I was was on his mind. Because so much was at stake. It was a bigger picture. If we go back to chapter 14 and verse 3, this is what Paul had written there. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. And I want you to understand that's the gospel. That's the gospel in simple terms, that God welcomes us when he didn't have to. He could have said, oh, no, I don't think so. You know, they're not good enough. They don't, they don't do things the way that I want to do them. But there was a bigger picture. You take that passage of Scripture, 14.3, and you compare it to, to here at Romans 15.3, and you'll see it similar. Look at what he says. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the Scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Again, we see the gospel. And how did God welcome us? He welcomed us in Christ. He bore our sin And Paul takes us back to the gospel over and over and over again in what Jesus did for us because it is that which is primary. It is that which is essential. It is that which is foundational and that which is of most importance. And what the gospel does is it gives us a picture, a clear picture of not only what Jesus did for us, but it also paints a picture of how we should live, how we should live our lives, that we should accept one another that we should bear with one another because in doing so, what we do is we follow in the footsteps of of Jesus. Fewer fewer things paint a clearer picture of the gospel than when we love one another and we bear with one another and we accept one another. But listen to this. 
On the other hand, fewer things call into question our faith and our love for Jesus like when we choose not to. Man, y'all are quiet today. What's the problem? You know, when you start thinking about this thing, a clear picture of the gospel, man, you want to see it in full effect is when we love one another, when we bear with one another, and when we accept one another. Yet how many of us say, I believe in Jesus. Man, I love Jesus with all of my heart. But when it comes to living out those, we struggle. We struggle. That old saying, what would Jesus do? That came around back in the 80s. I think that sort of became a thing or in the 90s. Honestly, WWJD is a whole lot bigger than just a catchy phrase. But it's a truth that every one of us as believers and followers of Christ should want to live out. See, the church is supposed to be a model of Jesus to the world, of what Jesus looks like, of what setting Jesus' example. As followers of Christ, we're to model Jesus to the world. Let me flip this around. Parents, you know, if we were the only model of Jesus that our kids would see, what model would they see? If our kids, the ones that we're raising, if the only model of Jesus that they have is what they see, parents, what are they seeing? Next thing I want you to take a look that the church should be known for is the scriptures. You can write that down. Look at verse 4. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. You know, it's interesting to note when we read the scriptures, especially what Paul wrote, the things that he, he mentioned and he referenced over and over and over again, but it's also interesting to notice what Paul did not reference or what he did not say. And one of the things that I don't ever remember Paul ever saying was that, listen, when you live your life for Jesus, when you, when you are willing to bear the burdens of others, that it will be easy. I don't think I ever saw that any place. I don't think I ever saw within Scripture saying, listen, there's not going to be any tensions with accepting other people or loving other people. I don't think I ever heard Jesus say, look, when you choose to follow me, it's a smooth road and everything's going to be fine. Life's going to be great. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. I don't read that in the Scriptures, do I? No. Not at this time, I don't. But instead, it's just the opposite. Here, when Paul was talking about the Scriptures and what he was making reference to was the Old Testament. Paul saying that those Scriptures, in those Scriptures, we find hope and we find encouragement. See, there's so many people, I think, that a lot of times say, oh, well, the Old Testament, really, it, it doesn't really matter. It's not, it, it doesn't really matter. It, it, there's not a lot of meaning there. It's the Old Testament. Let's read the New Testament. Do you know how much how much rich stuff is in that Old Testament for us to be able to take a look? Paul said there's so much because there's hope and there's encouragement there. And that comes especially when we begin to realize that, listen, that we were in sin and we couldn't save ourselves. And yet God in his mercy would eventually send a Messiah who would be Jesus, who would rescue us from our sin. Talking about the scriptures, I go back and I'm, man, I'm excited about getting started back for the fall. I don't know about you guys. I'm excited about the students getting back this coming Wednesday night. We're having to move out. I mean, isn't that a great problem to have? We're having to move adults out. Who in the world would have thought something like that? But we're having to move them out so that we can create more space because we don't have enough space. Amen. Yeah, you can clap. 
We don't have enough space for, for small groups for youth and children. So what we've chosen to do is we've, we've said, hey, you know, what can we find that may be temporary for us, right? That may be for a season. And so New Life has said, hey, we've got some space we're not using. You guys can rent it from us. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm excited that we have the opportunity to be able to do that, to have that space. I mean, we're just less than a half a mile down the road. So you can drop your kids off and adults, you can go on down and you can, you can gather with us. It's not a permanent solution, but it's a great problem to have. I love the fact that we're going to begin Heritage University. It's another environment for us to be able to talk about God's Word, to be able to look at God's Word and see how we can apply it, not just so that we can come and learn, learn more information. But I say this to say there's a lot of inspiring books out there, and I can, man, I can turn you on to some. There's a lot of great inspiring books there, but there's only one inspired Word of God. It's the Scriptures. It's God's Word. And it's the belief in God's Word and the authenticity and the authority of God's Word that gives us something that we want to proclaim every week. Listen, it's not about what we think or what we feel. Man, God's Word is truth. Amen? It's, it's, it's truth. Yet how many of us are struggling with life issues and instead of going to God's Word, you call, hey, hey Mary, hi, I just, I'm having a tough time. Can you help me out? How many of us are walking through struggles and we're calling and we're trying to find out from somebody else, man, where the answer to life's problems are when we've got it right here? I'm not, listen, I'm not saying you ought to not call somebody, but you ought to call somebody if you're going to call somebody that's got their nose in the Word and knows God's Word and can point you back to God's Word because that's where the answers are. And I'm thankful for a church body that values God's Word. I'm thankful for a church body that believes that God's word is truth. Can I tell you about my own life? Because it seems like the older I get, the more I learn and the more I thought that I knew that I don't know, that I never even knew to start off with. But I sit down and I read God's word and I think about my own life, about how I've witnessed clarity in life's choices. Can I tell you about the, the fact that in God's word that I've been convicted over sin in my life? Can I tell you that it's been in God's word that I've found comfort in times of chaos when I didn't know exactly which way to turn? Can I tell you that it's in God's word that I've been compelled um, to be bold, to live out my faith in Christ? Man, I've seen lives transformed. I've seen marriages been renewed. I've seen addictions overcome. I've seen relationships restored because of the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. We just don't read God's Word to read it. We just don't read it to hear it. But we read it because there's something there for us that we have the ability to apply to, apply to our lives because we want to grow and mature in our faith. And whatever this is for, I don't know who this might be for today, you might be walking through a difficult time. Let me tell you what, sometimes God allows us to walk through difficult times because he wants to teach us something. Those times of difficulty are not there to destroy you. Those times of difficulty can be there to, to help grow you up and mature you in your faith. How many times, if I was just in a conversation this week, somebody walked through a difficult time in their life, they called me the other day and said, Sid, I just feel like I need to do this. And I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord because you're taking the things of the past which God has taught you in the difficult times. And what you've done is you've said, Jesus, use me. I want you to use me. 
Will you use me in the difficulties that I've had in the past and the things that I've learned about you so that those other people around me that may be walking through similar things, I have the ability to share with them what God has done in my life. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Write this third thing down. So Jesus and the scriptures the church should be known for. Another thing is unity. Yes, I said unity in the church. It's not always known for unity. Paul writes in verse 5, May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Make note that this verses 5 and 6 are really part of a two-verse prayer that Paul speaks. On a side note, should be really important side note, the church should be known for prayer. Not just to talk about prayer, not, not just to, to speak prayer, talk about it, but to model it. And Paul here is modeling it because he speaks a prayer on behalf of the Roman church. But what was Paul praying for? Look at what it says. May God, who gives this patience and, in, and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other. There's the goal. You see it right there. It's not studying the Scriptures for Scripture's sake. It's not praying for praying's sake. But he was praying that they may become mature in their faith to come to the place of living in harmony with one another. Because, again, there's a bigger picture at stake there. That word harmony, if you go look it up in the dictionary, it's defined by this. The combination of simultaneous sounded musical notes that produce chords and chord progressions having a pleasing effect. You heard that this morning, right? You heard that. We're incredibly blessed with unbelievable musicians here at this church house. We are blessed. Most of us would understand this. You take a bass, a tenor, an alto, and a soprano. You give to them a note that are all different notes. They sing those notes at the same time. And in spite of the differences of those notes, what happened is beauty on display. And here's Paul in verse 5 saying, when we come together, there should be harmony in spite of our differences. And as we assemble and as we interact and as we coexist with one another, there should be an incredible sound that is produced. And you know what happens when there is incredible music? It draws a crowd. That's what happens. Anytime there's incredible music, there's beautiful music, it draws a crowd. Guess what happens when the world looks into the church that functions as it's supposed to function. It draws a crowd because people want to know what's going on. What's taking place? Song is to be sung. Look at the end of what he says there in verse 5 in accord with Jesus. It says, as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. It is a harmony with us in accord with with Jesus. You can gather a group of people together. I mean, you, people in one accord because, man, I'm, I'm rooting for the Gators. Isn't that funny? Nobody clapped. That's great. <laughs> I'm rooting for the Seminoles, you know. And you can get a bunch of people. There's some booze in here. And you can get the people together, man, we're all, and maybe it's a cause or maybe it's some type of a, of a, of a situation that we're all in together. We're harmony. But it isn't, if it's not founded on Jesus, it isn't kingdom harmony. That singing motive sort of goes on into to chapter, verse 6 there in the second part of Paul's prayer when he shows us something else that the church should be known for. Worship. And I'm not talking about singing people. Worship. He says in verse 6, Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
The end goal of our lives in Christ should be that God be glorified in all that we do. See, that's the end goal. Worship that God be glorified. That's why we exist. The end goal. And Paul, Paul says that, you know, that's what we as a church family should be set our eyes on, not only corporately, but also individually, that our, our lives should be set around this goal, this bigger picture, that we would, we would exist to make sure that God is glorified in everything that we do. Everything that we do. And Paul spends so much time on this topic of weak and strong because he knew that there was something at stake. It was God's glory. We're to exist for God's glory, not our own. And to the strong, Paul would have said, listen, you don't seek to please yourselves, but you bear with one another, just like Jesus did. And that's worship. Going back to the beginning of chapter 12 in Romans when Paul was speaking, when he was addressing living out in faith, this is what he wrote, and dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of what he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him because of what Christ has done for us. Dear God, I am, take me. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I am, everything I've got, I'm yours, Lord. Take me, take me. When Paul was writing to the believers at Galatia, he would have said this, I am crucified. I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. In other words, there's an exchange that takes place. And then Paul concludes there in verse 7 with the words, and we wrap them up. Therefore, in other words, summarizing what he said, keeping in mind all the things that he had already written, Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given, given glory. And here's our fifth thought. Our fifth thought is this, acceptance. And once again, our example is none other than Jesus. Jesus accepts us. And Paul said, listen, we are to accept one another just as Christ accepted us. And how did, Jesus, how, did, how did Jesus accept us? He didn't accept us because we were acceptable. He didn't accept us because we were lovable, because we had it all together. I know there's some of you that think y'all have it all together. There's a couple of us in here. I'm not going to call your names out right now. But that's not why Jesus accepted us, because we were acceptable. But he accepted us because he loved us. He welcomed us as sinners. He gave us something that we didn't deserve. And again, it was the display of the gospel. And in turn, it's the strong that are welcome to welcome the weak, and it's the weak who are to welcome the strong. And again, it's the display of the gospel. When Paul was writing earlier on in, in chapter 5, verse 8, Paul said, but God demonstrated his love, not while we had it all together, but while we were still sinners. Jesus accepts us. We're to accept other people. And we don't accept them so that they can stay in the same place, but our desire is that, they would, that we would welcome them so that they would come to understand what those of us that are followers of Jesus have come to realize and understand. Just how much God loves us. And in us receiving and following into that acceptance of Christ that we ourselves would come to accept him and that our lives would be transformed. 
I love the second verse in Romans 12. When Paul gives the motivation, he said, don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn, you will learn to know God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God doesn't want us to stay the same. Transformation isn't about turning over a new leaf. It's not, it's not about some good intentions. Salvation is about transformation. You know, there's just something that happens when we see Jesus face to face, isn't there? There's just something that, that happens to take place when we come face to face with Jesus and we recognize our sin. And we not only recognize our sin, we recognize the depths of the fact that here's Jesus with his arms wide open, welcoming us, inviting us to join him. What's the old saying? No Jesus, no change. No Jesus, no change. You know, as I was at Jim's funeral the other day, over at New Life, the pastor, tragic accident. But as we gathered there to recognize and remember his life last week, I, uh, I couldn't help, and I've told several people this, I couldn't help but thinking about Jim was a friend of sinners. As I looked across the audience and I saw who I saw and I know a lot of their life stories, I thought to myself, Jim was a friend of sinners just like Jesus. And you know why Jim was a friend of sinners just like Jesus? Because he had hope. And he was encouraged because of what he himself had experienced. That's what I want. I, want, I don't want to be known for a church that has it all together. I don't want to be known as a, as a church of, of people that are better than everybody else. I want Heritage to be known as a church that's a friend of sinners. Because that's what Jesus was. Jesus didn't offer us hope so that we could stay in the same place. Jesus offered us hope. He gave us life because he, he wanted our lives to be transformed. You know, when we think about you, I'm going to ask Caleb to come on up. He's going to sing. When I think about you and when you think about your own life, I don't know what comes to mind when you think about your faith and your walk with Jesus. But how do you know that you're a follower of Jesus? Is your life different? Do you have that sense that great is God's faithfulness? Do you have that, do you have that sense of assurance? Jesus, I just pray that as we sing, as we listen to the words of the song, that today you prompt our hearts to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.
went to rescue us it's a whole lot easier for us to be able to extend that same grace to other people amen yeah absolutely not with the anticipation that they would stay the same but they would experience God's love and would ever be transformed it's a privilege and an honor and a joy to have Jesus as Lord amen we don't have to live a defeated life but what a privilege it is that, man, God's given us the hope and encouragement of the Scriptures, the fact that Jesus is at the center. We, don't, that we have the privilege of living in unity because we see that there's a bigger picture at stake. Man, there's a world that wants to know Jesus. They're not interested in church, but I promise you they're looking for Jesus in the flesh. And we have the opportunity to live that out every day. Jesus, I just ask that as we get ready to walk out these doors, that you, for those of us that are believers, Lord, that we would understand the roles and the responsibilities and the privilege we have to be your hands and feet to this world. That God, there are lots of people all around us in the workplace and in the home. God, out on the ball fields, people that we meet in the, in the stores as we're going about our daily tasks that are looking that are searching, that are longing for hope and encouragement. And Jesus, I pray that we would be so mindful to pay attention to what's going on around us and not, be get, not get distracted 
with all the stuff that Jesus, that we would have your eyes and we would have your ears and your heart. And Lord, for the person that may be here today that doesn't know you, that doesn't have that encouragement, even today, may today be that day that they say, Jesus, I, I want to come to know you. I want to give my life to you. And if that's you today, man, you come see me. I'd love to have that conversation with you. You can write your name on a card that's in that pew. And, and we'd love to embrace you. But Jesus, help us to be your ambassadors. Help us to see a bigger picture as we live this life that we live. Thank you for the privilege of this day. And Jesus, I pray tonight that as we gather, as we gather around schools to, to share and to pray for one another, to pray for our schools and pray for our teachers and staff and administrators, that Jesus, it would be a great time of the body of Christ from all the, all the various churches as we gather on these campuses, that it would be a time of, of Father, us just focusing and just being reminded of, of the, the potential ministry that exists on our campuses today. Jesus, thank you for being in this place. Thank you for the privilege of music, for the reading of your word. And God, may we leave here different than what we came. In your name we pray. Amen.